Welcome. 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 Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Joey Mack. He's on, a.k.a. The Smoking Panda. I'm currently residing in New Jersey, where I was born and raised. I joined the Marine Corps three days after I graduated high school. I'm sure a lot of us have experience in that, especially going into the military. Uh, three days after you got your diploma, all of a sudden you're a, going into an airplane and heading off to whatever uh, boot camp. But for me, it was for Harris Island, South Carolina, a beautiful place, as they say. After Paris Island, I went directly to Camp Geiger, uh, which is in North Carolina. And that's where I was trained as an infantryman. So I was, my MOS was a grunt. Uh, 0311, 11 Bravo, Bravo for the army, uh, for the other, for the soldiers there. And it was a great experience. Um, but for me, my turn was I wanted to go into college. So I went right into the reserves and I was accepted to Norwich University, which is actually the oldest private military school in the United States located in Northfield, Vermont. So that was in 2006. So while I was going through school, I would go and, and from Vermont, I would actually go and back and forth to drill uh, back in New Jersey once a month or a weekend. And during my time as a Marine, I got to deploy, you know, to different parts of the country. And uh, one of my favorite ones were going to, well, I, I would say kind of like unique ones was going to Mongolia, Norway. And then Iraq in 2008, 2009. And during that time, I was still going to school. So it'd be funny. I would do like a three to four weeks in these countries and come back. Like I would go to Mongolia in the spring year of, I, I forget if it was my sophomore year or my junior year. And then I would just go right back into school. And people were like, hey, where have you been? I was like, I was in Mongolia. Oh, that's pretty funny. So it was a cool experience. And um I really, I really enjoyed it. And Norway was definitely a blast as well. Um, and Iraq, of course, in 0809, I deployed with 225 Golf Company, um, to Iraq. We were stationed over in a little, a, a little kind of like AOS near the Syrian border in a little place called Akashat. So it was very interesting. There was probably only 150 Marines there. Um, but you know, it was, it was definitely. A, an experience, you know, it was something totally different. And for a lot of us, it's what we signed up for. Um, so, you know, different stories about that. But it was definitely memories that will always resonate with me through my life. Um, so in 2011, everything came to a halt, as in kind of the military and the and my college ending at the same time. So my transition was right there, even though I was in the reserves, I still went to a private military school. So we had PT in the mornings. We, we wore uniforms. So kind of, even though I wouldn't say it was active duty, but at the same time, you had that experience. And during my time and four years of college, I actually deployed three different times. Uh, just because as a reservist, I had to go back to New Jersey and drill with my unit. And then uh, once a year, we would have, you know, annual trainings that could last a couple of weeks. So during that time, I was very fortunate to go to places like Mongolia, uh, go to Norway. And then in 2008, 2009, I took a break from school because I had to do uh, kind of like a, a year pump uh, over to Iraq, where we had to train three months over in California, eight months in Iraq, and then a, a little bit under a month back. California, so a total of about a year. But you know, definitely awesome experiences. Had had a lot of great stories and memories. You know, definitely was something part of part of my life and a part of our lives was was being part of uh, a military force, whether Marines, Army, Coast Guard, Air Force, and now the new newly founded Space Force. Um, so yeah, that that was definitely an awesome experience. But everything came to a halt around 2011, where I kind of like and pretty much that my contract was over. And the, and I was graduating college. So even though I was in active duty, you know, I did go to a military school where we did have uniforms and stuff. So that was definitely a, a transition where a lot of us hit during that time where it's like, okay, we're out. So for the past, since I graduated high school, for the past six years, all I knew was kind of like the military life, whether it's going to a private military school or being deployed and drilling with the, with the Marine Corps.
So after that, it was kind of like, I was very fortunate to have awesome great mentors, and we could also talk about that, which I think is very important. And then a couple of years, you know, I worked a couple of jobs here and there, and I started opening up a couple of businesses uh, a couple of years ago. So me and my partners that I've known since 2005, 2006, uh, we became business partners, but we were like friends for a very long time, and that's pretty much where we are today. That's awesome. Um, yeah, the reserves. I I did both active duty and reserves in the army, so I noticed um, I noticed a stark difference between the two. Uh, I I think it's like I think there's a difference between the two in all branches. Um, that you know, active duty, you live and breathe the military. It's like all that exists. But then in the reserves. You have your your military obligation, your educational obligation, your your civilian occupation, and you know because I did active duty first. I think I was one of the biggest people that was just I hated reservist because I was like, oh, you big roly poly people, we all just you know call each other by the first names and just whatever. I just didn't care for reservist, and then I became one. And I was like, oh, I see why I hate them. But it's not the people. It's the leadership. Uh, it's the lack of leadership. Uh, because my, I went into the reserves with the, with the philosophy of I am wearing the exact same uniform that I wore when I was on active duty. It did not say USAR for the United States Army Reserves. It said U.S. Army. So I, I was like, hey, a standard is a standard. What's up? You know? And so it, it, it was, it was a, like a culture shock for me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I was able to take advantage of both because the thing that I, you know, I can now say that reservists do better than active duty is kind of the after, the after fact of being able to fulfill that military obligation and fulfill your obligation to your civilian job, your family, and it's it's a lot more to balance. So I think you, you're a more well-rounded person coming from the National Guard or the Reserves because of that. Whereas in the when you're active duty, it's just like all you know is I bleed green, like the Army Green or whatever, or, or camouflage. So, yeah. Um, you know, you said something that kind of... Um, you said you after your after your your thirteen weeks of boot camp, you went home and then you went back to your um, infantry school. In the army, um, the only time that you get to go home between basic and your basic training, your job training, is if it's a Christmas thing. Was that the case for you? No, it was just it's it was pretty interesting. Yeah, we came home. Uh, I think it was like for like less than two weeks. I know that. And, um, you know, we helped with the, we came back and we kind of like helped with the, we were, so we were poolies over mm -hmm. in like the, the recruiting station. So we go there and we come back, tell our stories and like did PT with a little bit with the poolies and such. Um, but once I got to infantry school, I know I had to wait a couple more weeks. I forgot it was like a week or two. But once I got back and we checked in, we got put on waiting again. Because the, the school was just so fu full that we had to wait again. So I wonder if it was because uh, at that time, you know, I didn't know. I was just like, you know, an e E2 at that time. I was just mm -hmm. like, oh, this is, you know, I'm just going going with the motions. But, yeah. you know, it was probably because everything was full. And then I remembered that we, we graduated right before Christmas so we could go home. Okay. So it, was e it was either we kept going and then we go home for Christmas and then come back. But of course, that would be more money from the military. Mm -hmm. So they just crunched everything together to make sure we graduated from from uh, infantry school. You know, in the Army, infantry, field artillery, and um, those three jobs, they do what's called the acronym is OSIT, which stands for One Station Unit Training. And what that means is those particular jobs, basic training and their job training is all one thing. Mm. It's not basic training, then job training. 
And I think the idea behind that is because, because, for example, with infantry, uh, with infantry, you know, we say all the time in the military that the military revolves around the infantry because the military was created to fight a battle. And that's what infantry does, whether, you know, no matter what branch, Army or Marine Corps. So, so their, their one station unit training is they do one graduation at the end of it. And it's like basically they go, they're, they're, it's like, uh, it's like basic training on steroids, I guess you could say, because you guys as infantrymen focus more on maneuvers and squad movements and things that we really only touch on in basic training in comparison to what you do as an infantryman. Uh, did you see a difference in that when you went through boot camp versus infantry in school? Oh, absolutely. Um, especially now. Uh, I mean, when I went, because now things are changing, because the whole, the whole overall, I guess, kind of like view of the battlefield is totally different now than it was five, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, you know, you're exactly right. It definitely enhanced the knowledge because we were taught most of the, you know, ba- you know, basic, uh, basic boot camp or boot camp where we learned every basic skill and, military honors and tradition but this really scoped in on knowing for us you know even though they say every marine is a rifleman but then for us it got it got really deeper into knowing our, our weapons our tactics our small unit leaderships our strategies so it was definitely quite an experience and for that that was i believe eight nine weeks you know that that was like 2006 oh 2005 when i went so I believe it was like eight or nine weeks, something like that. Maybe it was a week of just, you know, how they have like processing and stuff and eight weeks of training, actual training. But it was around eight to nine weeks. But it was definitely quite an experience. And then just knowing things of just, you know, how how to how to do defense week, offense week, you know, really miserable stuff if you're in the, if you're if you're in the infantry. A lot of walking, a lot of walking or, or humping as they call it. Uh but no, it was definitely what I signed up and what I was very interested in. And man, was I, you know, the things they show you on the commercials and the actuality, it's just two different things. <laughs> I, I have to rub this in. Um, so the last kid that I put into the Army when I was a recruiter, um, and it, I wouldn't be sharing this if he didn't just say that. Um, he, you know, I talked to him on the phone and said, hey man, why don't you come in and talk about joining the military? And he's like, Oh, this is the army, right? And I said, yeah. He said, I've already done my research. I said, okay, and what'd you come up with? He said, I want to be a Marine. And I'm like, awesome. Okay. Have you talked to the Marine recruiter here? Well, no. Why would I do that? And I'm like, it works. If you're going to join the Marine Corps, you have to talk to the Marine recruiter. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean that's, that's usually how it works. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't know the kids, so I was trying to be nice. Of course. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it was kind of, you know, you can't just be like, hey, hey I'm going to go to Paris Island and just kind of drop myself off and say, hey, yeah. let's do this. It doesn't work that way. And so I said, well, tell you what, why don't, why, why don't we do this? You come into the office. Um, I'll talk to you a little bit about the Army. You can tell me about the research that you did on the Marine Corps. And um, if you still want to do the Marine Corps, I will walk you down the hallway to talk to that Marine Corps recruiter. He said, you you wouldn't do that. And I said, yeah, I would. Why would I not do that? He said, because y'all hate each other. And I said, no, we don't. I said, do you have, do you, so when he came in, I said, do you have any, any siblings? Uh, he said, yeah, I have a younger sister. I said, do you ever pick on her? He said, no. I said, hi, your mom's not here. Do you ever pick on your sister? He's like, yeah. <laughs> okay. And I said, so what would happen if I showed up to your house and I started to pick on your sister? Would you stick up for your sister? And he said, yeah, of course. I said, but why? You were just picking on your sister. And he said, well, because she's my sister. I said, well, that's how the Army and Marines are. We pick on each other because we're family. But the moment somebody else, an outsider comes in, I don't care what I see. And I'm on his. That's just how it works. And so... And, and so I, you know, I said, so, so tell me about the Marine Corps. What did you learn? 
um, oh, they, you know, they're the few, the proud, the Marines, and their uniforms, they're tight. I'm like, yes, absolutely, you're right, they are. So what did you learn about the Marines? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, you know, great. You know, so their uniforms look good. I agree with you. I love their uniforms. Everything's on there with precision and detail. I said, um, but you know those those gold button things that are on their uniform, uh, the EGA. What did you learn about the EGA? And he said, the what? I said, the EGA. You know, you earn it at the crucible. And he said, wait, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, okay, so here's the deal, right? You you did do research, or do I? Do I have you mixed up with somebody else? And he's like, yeah, I did my research. So on the Marine Corps emblem, and I had it already up on my on my laptop, and I turned it around and showed it to him so he could see it. I said, see this right here? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's the that's the Marines thing. Yeah, it's the Marines thing. Well, I, I can use the word thing with you because I don't expect you to know what to call it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, hey, so um, that thing that's in the middle of it where that red is that 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 image there i said that's the ega it stands for eagle globe and anchor he goes oh okay that's kind of cool and i said now read the words around around it and i kid you not this kid said united states marine corps oh yeah we get that Department of the navy I said, uh, you think you might want to read that the right way now? I said, what do you mean? I said, we're talking about the Marine Corps, an entity of, uh, that elite entity of the Navy. Um, we're not talking about dead Marine life. And he was like, but what? I said, this word, it's core. He said, well, that says corpse. I'm like, okay, look, I, I, I'm not going to really argue grammar. 11 Bravo. Yes. You know, and I was thinking that. I really was. I was like, look, man, if you join the army, I know what MLS is going to be for you. Um, <laughs> it's got your name written all over it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, so he thought that I made up that emblem, that I created it to make him look stupid. And I'm like, nah, dude, you're doing that by yourself. But, you know, so. And then when I said, well, yeah, so that's what the EGA is, and you earn it at the Crucible. And he's like, what is that? I think you're making all this stuff up. I said, tell you what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk down the hall, and we're going to go in and talk to the Marine recruiter. And um, I want you to ask him about the Crucible and the EGA. Now, the Marine recruiter knew me enough to know, because I, I was initially going to join the Marine Corps band, but I ended up not doing it, so... I had more love for the Marines than this kid realized. And so uh, we go into the office. And I said, hey, man, can you, uh, this is this kid. I said his name, whatever, whatever it was. I said, and he's, uh, he said he's done his research on the Marine Corps. And he has a couple questions. So I'm wondering if you can explain to him the EGA and the Crucible. And the guy's head, uh, eyes got big and uh, he said, do you want me to tell him the book answer or the real answer? I'm like, dude, he can't handle the real answer. Just tell him the book answer. Cause he, he just can't hang right now. I, it, it, you know, whatever. So he did the whole, you know, boot camp, you know, yellow footprints and, you know, made a man out of me and seven loops in my belt to seven C's and gig line and just, he just, he went to town. I was like, awesome. So I look at the kid. I'm like, so do you have any other questions for him? Like uh, about the EGA or the Crucible or anything else? Because this is, I mean, he's here. I'm here. You know, you can ask him whatever you want. No big deal. <laughs> and he cowered down because I mean, the kid, basically, long story short, this kid had no self-esteem. And so he felt like joining the Marine Corps was going to give him that sense of self-esteem that he was lacking. Because he could be that few proud Marines, you know. Mm. <laughs> so you know, so he ended up found out he was colorblind, and so he couldn't do infantry because at this time you could not be colorblind to be infantry, right. nor could you be airborne and a couple of other things. So when I I went to Meps to pick him up and I said, "Hey, look, man, you know, here, here's something that you can do. You can be a military police." And he mm. said, well, why would I want to do that? I don't want to be a, a military cop and drive around and just give people tickets. That's stupid. 
I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Here's help, help me go, go, go here with me. You wanted to, you want, first you wanted to be a Marine because you wanted to be like the elite fighting force. And then you wanted to come into the army and you wanted to be infantry because if I can't be a Marine, I can at least be an army infantryman. And he's like, yeah. I said, but you can't do that because you're colorblind. There's like just no way around that. Um, there are some things that are waverable. That's just not one of them. So, um, the next best thing for you would be military police. And he's like, why is that the next best thing? I said, well, it beats being a cook or it beats being a supply clerk. You can do those absolutely if you'd like to. I said, but th look at it like this. When you deploy with your unit, which is more than likely going to happen, as a military policeman, you're not going to be sitting in a cop car in Iraq. You're going to be sitting in a Humvee and you were going to go outside the wire. And I had to explain outside the wire to him. I said, you're going to go outside the wire and you're going to be doing infantry maneuvers and you're going to be doing it legally even though you're colorblind because you had that job at military police mm -hmm. so like to me that's the best thing, or best thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely but then you know he signed his contract he, he picked that and then that marine recruiter walked in my office like two weeks before this kid was supposed to ship off and said, hey, come here a second. So, of course, we went out back for a smoke break that I don't smoke, but I love smoke breaks because that's where the real conversations happen. Um, and he, this recruiter, this Marine said to me, isn't this guy your kid? And I said, yeah. He said, well, he came in and talked to me and doesn't want to join the Army. He wants to be a Marine after all. I'm like, awesome. So what did he tell you? Like, what's... Because I, I had no idea. I thought when he signed the arm, the contract with the Army, he was good to go. And he and he said, well, the only thing he told me was, well, they lied to me. They told me I wasn't allowed to be infantry. They told me that I had to be a military police, and that's the best thing that they got. I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Did he tell you who they are that told him all that? He's like, no. I said, well, that they is me. So here's what he didn't tell you. He's colorblind. So when he went to Mets, he found out he was colorblind and wow. that eliminated that. So that's why I told him he couldn't do infantry because they told him he couldn't do infantry because he's colorblind. Now, can you be infantry in the Marine Corps and be colorblind? He's like, the guy was like, no. I said, well, that's what happened. And so, yes, I did tell him he should be military police and here's why. like you know this is why i wanted to come and talk to you before he came in because there's always two sides to every story i said yeah so he he didn't lie to you i did tell him those things but here's why i told him those things mm. he neglected to tell you that didn't he mm. it's like yeah <laughs> and so when when the kid came in for that appointment with him he didn't know that he was being set up because he talked to the marine recruiter for a little bit and then told him to come on down to our office and he did because he didn't know that me and my boss were going to be sitting there waiting on him and we all sat there together me his army the kids army recruiter the marine recruiter and then my boss wow. and this and we all sat there and we talked to him and we just said hey look you know what do you want what are you trying to what are you trying to do because if you want the marine corps you know i don't have a problem with that and that's, that's what my boss said. If you want the Marine, if you want to be a Marine, then do it. But don't use the Army to do all the legwork just so you can then switch over and say, you know, forget it. I'm not going to do it and renege on this last minute. And, um, you know, he, and so I, after they were talking for a little bit, I was like, all right, dude, look, it's my turn. Cause you know what? I'm going to tell you what I'm the one doing that was doing the legwork for you. So I need you to, I need you to help me understand 
why did you go and tell this this guy right here, pointing at the Marine recruiter? And this is why we did it together, because he, he really thought that we hated each other. He didn't realize that we really do work together. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, why, you know, why, why did you go and tell him that I lied to you, telling you you could not do infantry? And that the military police was your next next best option. He said, well, you did tell me that. I said, yeah, but the, there's a, a piece of that that you forgot to tell him. Why didn't you tell him that the reason for that was because you were colorblind? Mm. He's like, because I'm not colorblind. I think you were making that up. I was like, guy, I didn't make it up. I'm not one of the doctors at Mets. And here's a big shock for you. If you decide to do the Marine Corps and you have to go back down to MEPS, which you're going to have to do, um, and get your job, do you know that though you will be going to the same MEPS station to see right. the same doctors and you right. really won't have to see a doctor again because they already have that exam that you did when I took you down there. And they are going to tell you the same thing that you can't do infantry because you're colorblind. And oh, by the way, this is not me trying to pull one over your head so that you stay with the army because the Marine recruiter is sitting right here next to me. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and so like all that to say, because you, know, you, you said something that reminded me of, of that, but you know, communication is something that is greatly lacking both in the military and in that transition out of the military. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I hear you. Is that something that you struggled with when you were transitioning from the Marine Corps to well, you know what? Of the transition? You know what? I, I, I was very fortunate. Like, well, right when I got it. So going back to the conversation about reservists, right? Mm -hmm. uh, something I find very interesting about reservists. I know you get picked on a lot because, you know, it's once a weekend. I mean, once a month and then uh -huh. a couple weeks a year. Something that I really enjoyed about it was what you were saying, there's all different types of prof professions there. For example, when we went over to Iraq, we had guys who were carpenters. We had guys that knew piping, guys that actually knew different other types of skills that we could use to build and kind of make our kind of like our area of living a little bit better. And something I enjoyed too was for active duty, you join your unit and you're all from different parts of the nation, which is incredible. But once you leave, Everyone goes goes by and spreads out across the United States, right? What I loved about this was when I got out, guess who became police officers? Guess who became firefighters, politicians, uh, business owners, people in our same community? And I really enjoyed that because when I was transitioning out, guess who I turned to? The guys that actually were out a couple of years. I asked them questions, and uh, my transition was, I was, I would say went pretty pretty well because i was able and i always tell people this when you transition you kind of have to come at it at a point where i this might be a little bit too harsh but no one owes you a damn thing even though you're a veteran like honestly no one cares like you gotta pay your bills you gotta do what you need to do you gotta find a job are there opportunities to for people to help you absolutely but if you don't make those certain steps gonna make it quite quite difficult so something i always tell people is like kind of have that e1 mentality sometimes i think as as veterans or transitioning out that we forget when we were growing up in the military guess who we look up to you know who we look up to when i was in e1 e2 i looked up to my uh lower non-commissioned officers like uh, my e4s and my e5s when i became a non-commissioned officer i looked at my staff ncos both the officers. I think the military is such a fast track to leadership, unlike corporate America, where you usually get stuck with the same boss for quite a long time. I think in the military, the the fluctuation of leadership is continuous. So mm -hmm. you get to see good and bad, good and bad. So when you see those things, I think we sometimes forget when we transition out. That's almost the same thing here in the mil uh, in the civilian life. You can't look up to people who are still one in, in in different parts of your life a lot better than other parts and ask them for advice for 
you know, sometimes when you were at E3, you would do, pick up Corporal, uh, when you would talk to your staff, NC, uh, your NCOs, you would ask them questions. And I think we should do the same thing. So for me, my transition went pretty well because I, I kind of thought about it as the military where you have to ask questions. You got to kind of look up to, to others and kind of like take their advice and experience. You know, um, that's true that you, you know, if you, if you look up to people who have been there and done that, it makes things so much easier. If you are able to, um, plan ahead, it makes things so much easier. I know uh, for me, I didn't do that. I didn't plan ahead. Um, when I initially got off of active duty and went into the reserves, all I knew was, you know what? I hit that nine year mark. I didn't know if I wanted to make a career of it. And so I'm just piecing out. Um, so I didn't have any planning to do. And I did the, those transition briefings, but when I did them, I was doing it because it was a requirement. It didn't mean anything to me. And <laughs> like even when they did the VA briefing, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it because I, when I associated the VA with like World War II vets and Vietnam vets who have lost limbs, but not me because I've got my legs, I've got my hands. And so I'm good to go. Uh, that was the farthest thing from the truth, but I just didn't see a need to even really pay attention to the VA. Um, so, you know, I, I will say two things. One, I had, I was, I am one of those people that had difficulty in my transition. Part of the reason is because of my lack of research and, uh, asking those questions. But then part of it too was, you know, come on. So, you know, can't somebody like help me out and point me in the right direction? Um, and so I think, I think with what you, with what you said, I agree with what you said, and I agree that people who are in a, a position to help should do so. Meaning, yes, nobody owes me anything. Just because I'm a veteran does not mean that anybody owes me that transition support. However, those transition support things have been put in place because of the amount of issues that veterans have had. So there's got to be a good healthy balance. I can't just blame all of my transition issues on the VA or the Army or the DOD, but I have to I have to take responsibility for my actions or inactions. You know, with right. that. And what you're saying is too, and just confirming it, those those things are there for us to use. Like those are doors that are going to be left open, whether it's claims, whether it's you're looking for a place to reach out to people or be back in that kind of camaraderie back again, look as we were in the military. Those doors are always open and there's tons of them, tons of them. For us, we have to do that. What you were saying, sometimes uh, I've seen vets that we don't do the research, but that's why there's people like us. Like, for example, you know, I could show, it's like that old phrase, you could, sh uh, what's it? Show a horse to drink water or, or whatever. You can you lead, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Correct. And that's the same thing. But you know what? There's other people there that are going to help you and guide you in the same way because people are, are, you know, some, some different paths. But for the most part, let's say, for the most part, there are doors open, but us have, we have to take responsibility and accountability to walk through those doors like they could show us everything there are places where they can help you with resumes there are places that can job but you in job placements that can help you with all these things but i've seen veterans that take it and don't even use it like mm -hmm. i'm giving you golden tickets I, you know i've i've met veterans where it's like hey man put your resume together i just gotta give it to this guy and you're good you know our network is pretty solid if you use it. That's a big thing. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I get, I show them the door. But the thing is, I can't lead them to it. Like, I, I, I would hit him up twice and he wouldn't send the resume in. I'm like, listen, this is an opportunity. And now I kind of like, 
and it's another veteran as well. Like this guy is offering you an opportunity. I'm asking you twice for your resume. Just put something together and let us help you. But they didn't. He didn't pull the trigger. Walk through the door. So it was kind of interesting. But it, you know, I always go back to that. You know, we, we got to be responsible. We got to be held accountable. And the, those things that we learned in the military. And I think it's far worse in the military. We're accountable to people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Other people's lives. Yeah. And and now when you come come to a civilian sense, now you got to be responsible for yours. But like I said, the doors are open. We need to go walk through it. It's, I know it's kind of hard. But for the most part, I would say through majority and experience. Because like I said, there's going to be some outliers, as they say. That's going to be some different types of routes. But I would say for the most part, we have to take responsibility and accountability. So let me ask you this, just to play devil's advocate for a moment. So I think the one thing that the Department of Defense does really well is takes people from all walks of life, all over the country, people who even came from other countries, and uh turns us into whatever it is that we were into a marine a sailor a soldier an airman um so the military does a very good job in making us what we were into what they want us to be so the devil's advocate part is this if you're going to if you're going to spend if 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 marine corps if you're going to spend you know x amount of dollars and time for you know, 13 weeks to make me into a Marine and then eight or nine more weeks to make me into a, an infantryman, can the same amount of time, effort, and energy be spent in making me still a Marine at heart and taking with me all my lessons learned from the Marine Corps, um, but help me to transition out from where you from where you found me. Great, great thing. You know, you know what would happen, um, Tiffany. We wouldn't have the great, the great nonprofits that are existing today. That's a caveat. If if you if you have a great system that's going to transition people out, I say we would that we we wouldn't have a lot of the great nonprofits that you know I won't name them, but they that have done some awesome work with that one-on-one. So something that, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you can't, you know, as, as much as I love the country, you know, you can't really depend on the government for everything, you know? Um, it's kind of like a tough reality that because we got, as we say, Tiffany, three hots in the cot, you get paid on the 1st and the 15th, and you just kind of go through the motions. And then when you get out, that's a challenge. It's kind of like that same thing where a lot of people, when they're, they're used, like kids these days, when they go through a traditional school system, when everything's all on schedule, and then when they get, they get to college and they actually have the, the free mentality to not go to class or to just rather party than not go to class. That's why there's, there's a little bit of a failure rate in those, in those, in those things. So think about coming from a scheduled, a scheduled routine for the four years, live and breathing it. Right. It's kind of that same mentality. And you get put into a civilian life where now you don't have to work. You know, you can actually just <laughs> stay home and or you could be a contributing citizen, whatever. But um, it's kind of one of those things that you both look at like two sides of the coin where you could find so very, very interesting in terms of behavior and stuff. So, yeah, hopefully that answered your question of what if the government did spend. X amount of money. Uh, one is we wouldn't have a lot of the great uh, nonprofits that exist today because that would be such a great job. But two, um, you know, we wouldn't have to. That would have been great. But remember, you were saying a, a couple minutes back where when you were doing the traditional job, it was kind of like a quote unquote check in the box. Like when people do the uh, DD-214, once you get your DD-214, and a lot of people who are military and listening to it right now know what that is, you know, you kind of just go through the motions. You really don't, you just want to go home, you want to get out and stuff. But uh, like I said, but there's amazing people out there that come back to those units. I've seen it. Or 
I've seen some warrior traditional transition battalions that kind of get and move them, get them some job placement. So they do try it, but like for the most part, like all of us, some of us want to get out and and just go. But then that's when the tire hits the dirt and it gets very very bumpy. So yeah, I I, I agree. And so I think along those roads, you know, I think, and you may have. A, a, a similar solution or something that's a different solution. But here's where I think we could do differently while in uniform and it doesn't cost any extra. It doesn't cost anybody any money. And that is invest in each other. Because when you, you know, when you have those people in those leadership positions who have been there, done that, and maybe they're already at place where they're saying hey i've got two more years left and then i hit my 20 and i'm gonna retire so i'm already doing these different things and as i'm doing that i can also kind of pick somebody up to come along with me not to exit the same time but to say hey you know how much longer do you have until your contract is over what are you going to do when that contract is over what are you going to do between now and then? What are you going to do between now and when you're supposed to uh, start clearing so you can get that 214? And I think, I think that is a, a thing that is for free that we can or we should have done while in the military is to pick each other up where we see each other lacking. Uh, it's just... I think that's one of the things that, that frustrate me is for an organization like the Department of Defense, who's all about camaraderie and, uh, you know, taking care of it, it, each other, which we do to a degree. We absolutely do. But I also think that we can do better by each other. And I think because of that, that is why those nonprofits are out there to pick up the slack and because we say, Hey, look, my transition wasn't good, so what am I going to do? Well, hi, my name is Brian Arrington, and I started the Vets to Industry to do that. Or um, Shantae Hall, she started the Centurion, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble because I can't think of the whole name now. But she started a, an organization, Her organization, and, and, and you're right, there's just so many good ones out there that you really can't, um, you can't name them all. And so many of them that have similar missions and some that have different missions. Some of these nonprofit organizations help with um, completing your education, doing a resume, practice interviewing, finding a job, negotiating a salary, and now I'm gainfully employed. There are several nonprofit organizations out there that help us veterans do that. There's also some nonprofits that help help you find your identity again. Uh, and I will say for me personally, right now, I'm going through the, the Commit Foundation, which is a, a nonprofit for veterans. And the program that they have that I'm personally going through is, is, is basically, it, it's, it's purpose is for me to help me find my purpose in life. And what are my skills and strengths? What are these attributes that I have? What are my values? Not what are the army values, but what are my values? It can line up with the army values, sure. But for me to identify my values, my strengths, the things that I can do well and the things that I need to work on and then how to do it. Um, so there are organizations out there and I'm not trying to plug one organization over another. I'm just saying that that's, you know, that's what I've, I find myself doing. Um, for you, what is something that you think, like if, if you were, if, if there was a service member of whatever branch sitting here thinking, okay, my ETS date is in a year, um, and I'm not sure yet whether I want to continue on in my service or not, what would you tell that person? So something I would say is, though, that think about, remember we talked about, think about what, what we learned in the military? What, what, what happens before doing that, before taking over that town? What needs to happen? So the Marine Corps is called BAMSIS, five paragraph order. 
you need to plan, you need to execute, you need to supervise. So I would tell that young, that young military member, service member, say, listen, you've learned this stuff. You need to plan. Where, where do I start? Put together a plan. What do you want to do? What are your skill sets? Start getting, start getting your foot in the door. And something what I love about, it, especially when you get out, and it's happened to a lot of guys that I've seen it that we've been around. When people get out, I think let the government do their own thing. And this is where the beautiful power of community happens. You got guys, you got gals, you got all sorts of types of veterans that come out and lend a hand. I would rather see that community than a government entity coming in and forcing that hand. You know what I'm saying? You can really see the passion, the compassion with people. So for us, I, I, I've, I've seen uh, military members that ask for help. Like, hey, how do I do this? How do I do that? The biggest question, the biggest thing is think like you're back like an E1, you're E2, or you're that, you're that NC, that young NCO. You look up to that staff NCO, or you're that new lieutenant. And you look up to your kind of like your, your field grade officers and you, you want to ask them questions. How, sir, how did you get there, ma'am? How did you get there? So the community, the veteran community is always open. And don't think when you get out, you have to do this alone. You have, you have people that will walk beside you, but they're not going to walk ahead of you. You know, what I'm trying to say they'll walk beside you, not ahead of you. And they'll open that door for you, but it's up to you to open that door. So, so the advice I would give is just like you did in the military, plan for it. You got three months left. You got four months left. They, the great thing is a lot of bases have transitional officers and they'll come in. Let me tell you, use them, use and abuse them. Have them send your resume. There are people right now wanting to help you out and wanting to job place, place you because Guess what? Those same people that probably created those organizations had those challenges, which is why they created the nonprofit organization. So they're there for you. So the biggest thing I would say is plan either, you know, you either plan or you plan to fail. That's a, that's how I say. It. Yeah, that's a good one. You either fail to plan or you plan to fail. Um, Correct. And yeah, for sure. So. This would be my my last question before we uh you know peace out of here and that is that's this uh the mobile cigar uh tell tell the listeners about what what it is you do and what it's up to, what what what's up with that what do you do Yeah no worries you know uh going back to where I thought you know especially when a young 21 year old going over to Iraq in 2008 it it was fun it was exciting you know this is what we signed up for uh, being being a Marine Corps infantryman going to Iraq, you know that's mm-hmm. that for us that was like the adventure, and being there was unsurreal. You know, you you were, well, I mean, was was surreal because you're in a foreign country. There was like 125, 150 Marines at most, the base we're at, and we're babysitting these two towns. Thankfully, nothing happened to us. But can you imagine, you know, hearing that? Guys have to go on patrol because there's reports of IEDs or there's reports of there's going to be a, a BBID, like a vehicle-borne IED, or there's going to be a, a rocket attack or RPG attack. And now your senses are heightened constantly. But you know what? Uh, there was times where, even for me, smoking cigarettes or smoking a cigar, you know, something in the military, we used to say, smoke them if you got them. That was, yep. that was awesome. But that, that uh-huh. was when we could sit down and forget where we are. And we could talk, we could chat. It's kind of like that tactical pause. Mm-hmm. And so, what uh, we like to say is, I don't even remember my first cigar. But I'll always remember the people I smoked it with. I took that on with me. And then when I graduated college, smoked a cigar, same thing. When my business partner... uh you know, best friend, still best friend, right? When he came out of the army, what came back from Afghanistan, moved here to Jersey because he took a job on. Every weekend we would smoke cigars. And that camaraderie was so powerful that we built a business out of it. We we believe that the cigar is the vessel, but the opportunity is the experience. So what we do is we bring we bring the cigar experience to weddings and private parties, 
because those milestones are meant to be remembered and meant to be honored. And for us, bringing that cigar there and capturing those special moments and creating those special memories over cigar, priceless. Before us, we started our company in 2000 and 2018 from September. It'll be three years this year, and we've built an incredible company, and we surround ourselves with incredible people. Uh, the owners are all 100% veteran-owned, and the team is 100% veteran-owned and operated, so we're located in New Jersey. And first responders, by the way. That's awesome. It really is. And so, I, I, you know, I made a comment earlier when we were talking about saying I love smoke breaks. And you got a smile on your face, and I was, wasn't even thinking about the fact that you have the, the mobile the mobile cigar. But there is, I mean, I used to smoke, but I, I had quit smoking. And then I remember hating the fact that because you have a habit of smoking, a bad habit, you get to take a break, and I don't. So I'm going on smoke breaks, people. But there is something, like, you know, and I can see why you say that. I can see why you made the comment of um, you may not remember your first cigar but you remember who you smoked it with and i think that's true there, there there's a lot of uh vulnerability and openness when you just go out back on a smoke break absolutely there really is absolutely and you know that's that's, well, that's something awesome. that, no and that's something we'll always love but yeah you know i, I thank you so much tiffany uh, i'm super happy that we got to share each other's stories and talk about you know a little bit about transitioning a little bit about our business, a little bit of some of the stories that we share. But it's always great to just share our story because you never know so who's someone out there that might be listening and be like, hey, I actually had the same story too. So yeah, <laughs> it's always absolutely. great. And what I'd love to do at some point in time down the road is have have you back again and maybe do a round table of just a couple folks that um, can just, it, it'd be nothing but us sitting around BS, BSing, almost like just calling it the stoop. And kind of sitting on the stoop and just talking about the good old days in uniform. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. No problem, Tiffany. Once again, thank you so much. I just want to thank the listeners as well by just hearing two veterans talking about our stories, our experiences. And Tiffany, great questions. And, you know, we'll be super happy to come back. So thank you again. Heck yeah. Awesome. All right. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Welcome. Welcome.